Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello and welcome to the Promised Land, a show all about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined as ever by Rob Blanchett. How are you today, Rob? I am COVID free, so I celebrate. Am, I feel like a free man finally. So yes, um, that's it. Yeah, celebrations galore. Back into the world of football. Um, but no, I'm not too bad. It's a it's a sunny day here today. Now the hay fever season's kicked in. That's wonderful as well. So uh, apologies to everyone here if you see my eyes streaming. It's not that I'm crying because Manchester United's lack of a transfer activity. It's just simply because the sun is out. You can see Rob's eyes streaming if you're watching us on YouTube. (laughs) If you're listening on audio, head over to our YouTube channel so you can catch Rob's eyes streaming. Uh, Just a reminder, you can subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts as well. Obviously, I've mentioned YouTube already, but Apple, Google, Spotify, etc. Twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays. Uh, So subscribe, give us a rating, a nice one, five star, hopefully. Uh, and subscribe to us on YouTube as well, because we're on there uh, every time we stream now. Hit the like button, subscribe, join the community, and the link should be in the description of this episode if you're listening on an audio platform too. We're we're just talking off air, Rob, about uh, potentially going live in the next few weeks. Uh, Let us know as well if you'd like us to go live and we can have a bit of audience interaction as well. We can talk about some transfers that you maybe like to see or get a a word in on some transfers that are happening or not happening. And that's how the show will go today. But before I get into what we're going to talk about, a reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promiseland MU for the show as well. But on today's show, as I just mentioned, we have six players we're going to talk about. Lisandro Martinez, Julian Timber. We talked about him on Friday, uh, but... Just a few things we would like to tidy up there. David Raum as well, German international left back. Frankie de Jong, Anthony, Christian Eriksen. And then a bonus section at the end, all about Richard Arnold's impromptu pub meeting with a a group of fans who then leaked the conversation on social media. Uh, We'll talk about that as we go on. But yeah, I've done all the plugs, Rob. Let's get into it, shall we? Do you want to start with the defence? 
Lisandro Martinez has emerged as it seems like Ajax are selling every single player that they have to Manchester <laughs> United. Have you noticed how like all of United's transfer targets have some connection with Ajax, whether they play for them now or whether they played for them before? Uh, Anthony plays for them at the moment. Frankie De Jong used to play for them. Christian Eriksen used to play for them. They want Jurian Timber, who plays for them. Lisandro Martinez is the latest one. And there's probably other players as well. Sebastian Haller was linked a few weeks ago. There's an absolute ton of them. But Lisandro Martinez is the latest one uh, because obviously it's emerged over the last few days, and we talked about this on Friday, that Jurian Timber is going to say no, it looks like, to a potential move to United this summer because of concerns over his World Cup place. And we'll talk about that in a second because there's a few things I'd like to say on that. Uh, some fans perhaps not understanding why he would make such a decision, but I understand it. Lisandro Martinez, anyways, emerges as the alternative target, Rob. Can play centre-back, left-back, and holding midfield as well, defensive midfield. Uh, how high on their priority list is this? He's 24 as well. Does he fit the profile? Obviously, Eric Ten Hag knows him as well. So he fits the profile. He definitely fits the profile. It really depends on where United prioritise the positions that they're going after, but also the wider business that they do. So one of the things that I can't often hear, especially via Twitter, is why can United not go after several players at once? Well, they do, and they are, and that's what they're doing. This is kind of why in the show we, we try and talk frankly about where they are in certain deals with certain players. I think with Martinez, we know that the real heat comes from Arsenal's interest in the player. So... They've targeted him. They're looking at a centre-back. They've put in their own offer of around £30 and that's pricked United's interest. Obviously, Ten Hag knows the player very, very well. Like you said, seems to be like Ajax B-team. You know, United going after everyone and next season we're going to start uh, the campaign as the Eredivisie champions playing in the Premier League or something like that. But I think with Martinez, he's a really, really good player. Uh, A player you'd want to add as your stock. So when we talk about priorities, he might not be priority number one, Scott, but he would make your defence better. And I think this is how Man United are approaching this window, is they're looking at players that are going to make those main sections of the pitch, defence, midfield and attack, better. Might not be superstars, but will be within a price range where they can go and attack and go and find players, offer them contracts and get them to the football club. Would you be surprised though, Rob? I, I mean, like from what we understand, Lissandra Martinez is just interest at the moment. It's, there's nothing kind of concrete in it. Obviously, Arsenal are the ones that have made the most concrete move to sign him, but they haven't really made too much progress yet. Uh, would you be surprised if United ended up, for example, tying or making massive strides on this move before they, for example, signed Frankie de Jong? I wouldn't be surprised because, again, this is the whole thing about can you do more than one deal at one time? And, of course, the answer to that is yes. So you don't just go to Barcelona to negotiate with the Barcelona board over De Jong and that's all you do for weeks on end. You know, your your fingers are in all the pies across Europe. And, of course, Manchester United have got this unique connection to Ajax. That's a big help, That the fact that the player... And the manager know each other so well. He's one of Ten Hag's boys. So that does help in this instance. You know, there are other players, obviously, on the radar, like Ram and players that I will talk about. And that's a little bit more difficult because that's a that's a more protracted negotiation that might take time. But I think Martinez is one of these deals that will get done one way or the other quite quickly. I think Arsenal are very keen. Ajax look ready to sell two or three. And that includes, you know, some of their bigger players as well. Haller's on the market now, Anthony's on the market. 
United are banging on the door for a few of those players. I would not be surprised if Martinez is one of those kind of pop-up signings. Now we know 100% that Timber's going to stay put for at least the next 12 months. I ask Consell everyone now, <laughs> you know. Uh, maybe bring back Daily Blind. Bring back Daily Blind, you know. But uh, it is part of their model. So, like, they have done this before where they have success, they sell them all, they make a load of money, and they reinvest, and then they win the league again the next year. So you can do that in Holland. You can do that in the, in the Netherlands because the, the pressure isn't there from your rivals. You know, you've got PSV and all of that and Feyenoord and other teams. But at the same time, you can still sustain your model. So... Ajax are a selling club without doubt. It's just that, like you said, you don't want to sell everyone. And I think that's why they've done their best to hold on to Timber because Timber at least assures them for the next year or two that they've got another sellable asset in, say, 24 months. And he might be worth a lot more money then than he is today. Do you want to move on to Timber now? Because obviously the interest, is, uh, the interest in Martinez has really come about since United learned that Timber wasn't so hot on moving to United. I think it's the timing more than anything, though. And I'm like, this is something I wanted to kind of mention and talk about, Rob, because obviously we mentioned on Friday that there was doubt that he would want to make this move at the moment because of, you know, the World Cup place. And I just can't see, I can't see him slotting in at centre back. Let's just, just, just talk about this for a second. United have six centre backs on their books at the moment Twanzebe, Lindelof, Bailly, uh, Varane, Maguire. I'm missing someone, I think, but um, yeah, like the five or six center backs on the books, Phil, Phil Jones, Jones, Phil Jones, and three of them you'd expect would probably end up leaving, but obviously, they're still all at the club at the moment. But you look at Urian Timber, who can play at right back, he can play left back as well if uh, if necessary. Mm. He's, he's very versatile and flexible, but you know, he's I think he plays right center back for, in the back three for the, for the Netherlands, uh, and has featured at centre back for Ajax as well, even though he's like I'm five, I'm five foot ten. I don't want to call him short, but um, you know, short for a centre back. But you look at Timber and all these like concerns that he's had about potentially making this move four or five months before the World Cup when he's got a few caps from the Netherlands. He's just managing to establish himself in that team. Players only get four World Cups ac- across the course of their career if they're lucky, you know. Uh, so. I understand it because, like, why would you risk at 21, 21 years old? Would you really back yourself to come in and usurp the place of an 80 million Man United captain and a World Cup winning Rafael Varane and stay in that team as part of two cent- a centre back pairing for three, six months before the World Cup can guarantee your place in a team that doesn't really work either? That's going to be a bit untested going into this season. How, what, what's your kind of feeling on Timber? moving away from this. I 100% agree with you and understand why he's made this decision because I think you've got to look at everything in all its individual parts, but kind of put them together and say, say, does it fit? Does it work? Is it 100%? I've heard a lot of Man United fans the last few days say, oh, we don't want Timber now because he's a coward. He doesn't want to come to our football club. This is not elite mentality. It's not elite mentality. And Louis van Gaal is poisoned and doesn't like Man United and all of this. Louis van Gaal is just doing what all national team bosses do. And we've heard it throughout the ages. So Marcus Rashford and Jadon Sancho are not in in England's plans at the moment. Why is that? Because they've not played for Man United enough and they've not played well for Man United. 
but they're already at the club. They've got to get on with that, haven't they, and try and do that at their team. I think when someone like Timber, and he said this at the very start of the window, kind of weeks ago, he said, you know, I'm, I'm open to a move maybe, but I'm already at a big club that plays in the Champions League. Why do I need to rush? And I think that that is his mentality in a nutshell. It's got nothing to do with cowardice. It's got nothing to be scared of playing for Man United. But Man United are not a great sell as it stands today to players. You're going to have to sell the club to them. You're going to have to say coming here is the best thing for your career. Now, I don't think you can say that to Timber today. You might be able to say it, Scott, in future windows, or you might keep that dialogue going between your parties and their parties, and the factions keep moving. So, I, again, I don't know why fans get so upset about this stuff. I really don't. I think it was always on the cards that it was kind of a, not really a 50-50s. Kind of the balance out there was that he would stay at Ajax this year. He's a young player, and he wants to go to the World Cup. He needs to play games. It doesn't mean, you know, saying coming to England, like you said there, five foot ten, five foot ten in the Premier League gets exposed. It does. So he could come to England and actually have all the best will in the world and play and get smashed and then be out of the out of the squad. So I think for him, another year at Ajax is probably what's best for his development. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's very easy to just suggest that, oh, well, you know, this player who's come from Ajax, you know, Ajax, right, he's a future Ajax captain, Eric mm-hmm. Ten Hag has said, future captain of whichever club he kind of goes to next or whether it's Ajax or whatever. But in, honestly, I know Harry Maguire was bad last season, but the season before, everyone was talking about Harry Maguire and how important he was. And then he, he was injured for the back end of last season or the season before last. Everyone was like, oh, Harry Maguire. So in, it, I can't believe we've lost him. So important. However, are we going to win the Europa League now and, and, and all this kind of stuff? <laughs> And now Harry Maguire is the worst defender on the planet, according yeah. to some people. Like, it's, it's not like, can you honestly ex- say, like, asking your, look yourself in the mirror. Can you honestly imagine Eric Ten Hag taking a risk and putting a 21-year-old Dutch centre-back who's never played in the Premier League ahead of Harry Maguire at the, in the 28-29 plus Rafa Varane when he's fit and leaving one of those players out? Can you imagine how much stick he's going to cop if he does end up doing that? And you've got to get the balance between revolution and evolution so it's all great that we could say yeah let's just get rid of all the united players bring in completely new players and have this huge revolution but most coaches do not do that because it's too risky now timber's a great talent and yeah he could be a future man united captain but is he the right guy for day one of the ten Hag project in england I'm not so sure. So I think United would have taken him if they could have done. Why? Because they want him at a cheaper price. That's the truth, Scott. They want him now because you're going to get value on him. They know in 12 months, if he has another great season, that we're going to be talking upwards of 50, 60, 70 million. We could be, you know, we talk about, you know, Delit when he was at that level, when he was kind of like the, the figurehead of that defence at Ajax, that suddenly, you know, the price just skyrocketed. So I just think it's the same with Timber. United do want a versatile defender. That's why Martinez is now on the cards. Martinez can play fullback. He can play centre-back. He can play defensive midfield. He can do all those roles. And there's no doubt that United need to stock up on one or two of those players so Ten Hag can do different things. Yes, indeed. We'll, we'll, I mean, we'll see how it goes. I mean, as far as I understand it, I mean, there's a certain player that we'll talk about in a little bit that is absolutely primary number one. Uh, number one target that they would like to bring in. Very important to the way that Ten Hag would like to play. Uh, 
another word on Timber before we move on to David Raum. Uh, I could see him potentially coming in at right back and starting a lot of games, mm. but at centre back, you know, I just I think there's just too too many people to overcome. But maybe United will end up looking for a different right back if Timber decides officially that it's not going to happen. And that's what I meant by revolution and evolution, because I think that's the thing. If you bring him in, it's a big weight on his shoulders as a kid to come in as a centre-back at Man United. Like, again, I know, like, look at Rafael Varane. Rafael Varane, all the experience in the world, and he really struggled last year. Yes, he had injuries, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a tough gig. It really is. You come to Man United and you've got to be of a kind of different level. So I'm not disappointed at all, I think, with Timber. I think he will come to Man United one day, and I think United will be in for him. But I do think that, in the first instance, does Timber get you closer to top four or closer to City, closer to Liverpool? I think the truth is 100% is that, no, he doesn't. But, yeah, if he came to the club, I could see him playing right back quite regularly because he'd be part of that kind of Ten Hag system he understands what Ten Hag wants from the position and Ten Hag needs to develop that with the players he's got and with new players yeah of course it's, it's worth mentioning as well that I know Eric Ten Hag has done a lot of research but he's not had any time on the training pitch with any of the players yet so he hasn't seen Absolutely. them close to know what their skills are how he can develop them this kind of thing and how can you make decisions on I'm taking this senior player out of this position mm-hmm. to put in this player that I know maybe there's aspects of players that he can develop I know that that's one of the kind of uh, bullet points that he has to actually look at doing. We also know that he has an innate belief, because this has been communicated, that there are a lot of players at Man United that have either not been given a fair go or he likes and wants to see do different things and then Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did with them. So that's a very kind of set starting point for the manager. And I think it's a really good footing. I think that's where you should start. You should look at what you've got. You can't just sell everyone on day one. That's a silly way of yes, doing it. Yes, you can, Rob. Yes, you can. Well, in theory you can, but of course you can't. So it's kind of like one of those things. So I think there are players there that will be like little diamonds in the rough for Ten Hag and he'll get more out of them than, say, maybe previous managers. You know, we just talked actually about Sancho and Rashford and two different players, of course. Sancho loved because he's a new player but struggled at times. Rashford, an older player and not so loved at the moment. And I think that he could get a song out of both of those two. It's just a case of making sure the system reflects what they can do and their work rate and trying to marry all of those things together. It's a wait and see. I think the manager needs time to at least meet this player, Scott, meet them first and decide whether he wants them or not. You don't just go out. I said before, a shotgun approach to transfers. I don't want Man United just to buy 10 players and then us to do a show in, what, eight months and go, well, nine of those players were awful. What happened there? That's but just a, that's new a, players. <laughs> it's just a bad look, isn't it? You've got to be more cerebral about how you buy players. Yeah, I mean, and on uh, Rashford isn't in the agenda today, but I have seen suggestions, for a report from somewhere over the last few days that Marcus Rashford is actually looking forward to knuckling down uh, and spending some time with a coach that could actually bring on his game because th- yeah. he's had coaches before where like Jose Mourinho and then Ollie, Ollie gave him a lot of confidence like during certain phases. But I think it's probably fair to say that Marcus Rashford for the duration of his United senior career since Louis van Gaal left anyway, has not really had that kind of one-to-one coaching about position, you know, positioning and th- this is what you do here. This is what you do here like other top coaches like Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp would do. So maybe Eric Ten Hag can get a, can develop him more. 
You know? Completely. And, and I think that's exactly what Marcus wants and needs. You know, there's no doubt about that. You, you just said there, like, you think about last year, how bad Marcus was. He had a bad season, didn't he? But then you go back a following year to that. He played with injury. He played out of position and he just did whatever he could do to help Man United. Now, I actually think that's a good starting block. I think, again, the new manager will look at that and say, you are a committed individual, but now I need to be able to harness that commitment into development and into statistics into goals, assists and wins. That's what we want from Marcus Rashford. So there's been plenty of videos about him out there, you know, training at the moment, running up vertical hills like this, sprinting up there, kind of like Rocky style and all of this. You're going to see a lot more of that from the players in the weeks ahead. And, you know, United fans are going to get upset about seeing all that stuff because they always do. Um, but I think it's a good sign. These boys are getting ready and they want to meet the manager and get off on the, on the front foot. Did you see that uh, Paul Pogba and Jesse Lingard have uh, joined TikTok in the last few days? I did <laughs> see it in a third-hand way like you do on Twitter. Um, but look, like everything, I know... Jesse Lingard was in the streets of what looked like New York. It was New York. Times people, yeah. Square, he was. <laughs> Times Square dancing away doing a TikTok. But do you know what? They don't play for you anymore. Forget them. Exactly. You know, and this is the whole thing. I, I think United fans, I always say to them, they get upset about seeing all this stuff, but yet they follow them and kind of help that ecosystem of social. So the trick is, don't follow them. I don't follow them. Why? Because I'm not interested in their TikToks. I want to see what they do on a football pitch. But those two guys obviously don't play for us anymore. Uh, one guy who also doesn't play for United at the moment either is David Ram, who plays for Hoffenheim. Mm. Uh, new German international, uh, reported over the last few days, and you can catch us on nightmin.com as well, that... United have some interest in him. He's a left back, uh, but Hoffenheim wants around 30 million. He's 24, played nine games for Germany at senior level. Release clause set to come into his contract at some point in the next year. But um, Man City have also got him on their list. But as uh, most people would know by now, if you've been following the transfer window and especially City's activity in it, they would like Mark Cucciarella from Brighton as their primary target, David Raum is late, further down the list, let's just say that. So United have some interest in Raum. Uh, looking at left-back, Rob, I know we talked about Alex Tellers. You, you at one point actually said that all the fullbacks were garbage uh, or something <laughs> along those lines. Uh, so how, how much of a priority is a left-back? Do you think Alex Tellers will end up leaving? And is, will, A, will this happen? And B, is Luke Shaw the first choice still going into next season? Luke Shaw is 100% the first choice. Um, um, Alex Tellez, it really depends on what kind of style of play you're going to play that helps Alex Tellez be a decent footballer. Because I think it's completely safe to say that the chances that he got last year, he squandered. He was just not very good. You think about why he came to uh, Manchester United, what he was supposed to add. I just don't think he does. I think he struggles in the Premier League. It's a tough league for him, a tough gig, again, for a player like him. Um, there isn't a market for him at the moment. Manchester United is nothing in terms of selling Alex Tellers. But I do think that he's one of those players that if he's of no use to the new manager, that United will look to replace him very quickly. So we talked about Ram. There is a market for him. There are clubs in for him. Highly rated player. But again, it's the price, Scott. 30-odd million around that price range. Very gettable you know, a player on the up. And we've talked about this in recent weeks, about trying to sign talent that has got potential 
to kind of hit the ground running and be good from day one, but also part of your wider development. So Ram is definitely one of those players. United have, have made an inquiry, but it's just a polite inquiry as it stands. And this is what we're saying about buying versatile players, like we just said about Martinez. Players that can do one or two things and can help you flesh the squad out as you make these decisions about the wider playing staff. Yeah, I mean, I don't look at this transfer of David Raum and think, yeah, that's a highest priority thing for United. I think it's more of a case of, we know who the main targets are, and we'll talk about them in a very quick minute. Uh, But it doesn't look to me, uh, this is just one of those players that United have on their radar that maybe they might act on later this summer, dependent on the other business that they do outgoings that they could manage to you know string some money together for we'll, I mean we'll see how it goes but United have a lot of uh, a lot of work to do on the squad at the moment we haven't mentioned Pau Torres either there's still interest there in him uh, but we'll see I mean but any any further thoughts on the defence Rob because I'm going to move up the pitch and into the midfield in a second. no it, it, it's as the dominoes fall and like you just you kind of hinted there about Pau Torres and this is the thing Pau Torres has been part of the Man United conversation for a very long time his agents have spoken to Manchester United and vice versa but again it's it's what do you need for the price range? So he's got a release clause and there's no activity around him. So you can sit and wait for a little bit. You know, if you suddenly go, do you know what? On day one of preseason, you have centre-back breaks his leg, Varane breaks down and is out for a year. You can go and execute deals and you're going to execute them very quickly because you've done your due diligence. But you're right. Man United looking at defenders, but it's more a case of trying to work out what they need for the season ahead as opposed to just going to get that star centre-back or that star fullback. Let's talk Frankie de Jong then. We always have to. Uh, United looking like they will return with an offer for him, yeah. whether that's verbal or written later this week. Uh, I think it probably... Well, obviously, Barcelona have their price that they want for Frankie de Jong, but obviously have their financial issues with salary and this kind of thing. De Jong is one of the highest earning players at the club and probably one of their most saleable assets in terms of we can fork back a big fee for him and reinvest this in our squad. You think of other players like Pedri and Gavi are going to command a big fee, but Barcelona don't want to sell them. Like it's just, just as simple as that. And they don't, don't want to and will not sell them. Gavi will sign a new contract at some point soon. De Jong is the one that they can probably manage to get away with. And it's just a case now of United managing to agree a fee. Uh, this next offer, from what I understand, is about 70 million euros, which with add-ons could take it up to 80 and Barcelona about 85 million euros. So do you think this will be enough? Are United good enough hagglers to get this deal done? Do Barcelona want to renege a little bit on their asking price? Do you think this is an important, crucial week for this deal to be done? It's an important, crucial week for this deal because, as I've said before, Barcelona hold the cards on this deal. So this is really about how far Barcelona want to play ball. Do they want to move the player on? What do they think about his wage? Because as you rightfully highlighted, it's a big wage and that's something they're concerned about. And you've just talked about Pedri and Gavi. That's the kind of structure of their midfield. They know that those two players are the future and they're the present. So can you afford to get rid of De Jong, make the, the kind of cash hit, put that in your bank and carry on with life? You just said there that there's a market for De Jong. There's a market for De Jong with Manchester United. That's the market. So when they've put him out to the marketplace at the price range, most other big clubs have gone, no, we don't want him. He doesn't fit what we want today. We don't like the wage. We don't like the we don't like everything else that goes with it. Manchester United have done the opposite. We like all of those bits. We tick boxes here. We want the player. 
but they're going to have to come you know, together with a deal that tempts Barcelona to pull the trigger. And what we're hearing recently now, I think in the last few days, very fresh news from Catalonia is that Barca are willing to kind of bring their terms in to let the player go for, for a slightly lesser fee. They don't want to lose money on the deal, what they paid Ajax. They're not going to do that. So add-ons are important here. But I think it's the most important thing is that a player, if he wants to go in the end, you know, I think I think this is a problem for Dion because if Barcelona are constantly shopping him, what do you do as a player? You know, you, you kind of do lose interest in that club, even though you might say they're the biggest in the world. All players want to feel loved, Scott. Yeah, and there's no doubt that Ten Hag loves Dion and that Ten Hag has told Dion that he wants him at Manchester United because he wants to build around him. That's very persuasive. So let's see what happens. I think the next few days we will hear a lot more. And I think we might get to a point quite quickly where a price is agreed. So if a price is agreed, then I think that's a green light for the deal. And suddenly that will get done very quickly. Yeah, I agree, Rob. Uh, it's important to remember as well that while a lot of United's players will return for preseason on the 27th, ultimately, as much as we would like to see this deal wrapped up and kind of confirmed tomorrow or today, De Jong isn't coming back anyway until the international players come back. And I think exactly. that's around the 8th of July or, or something yeah. along those lines. Uh, yeah. So they still have plenty of time because even if United agreed if he were De Jong today, he's still going to take holiday until he comes back. <laughs> so yeah, we still and, have a few weeks. And I, and I do also think that Manchester United are confident about wages in terms of they've spoken to his representatives and spoken to Barcelona. So they feel, I think most of the parties feel comfortable where is where they all are at the moment. And it's just a case of Barcelona saying, do we keep this player now or do we lose him and just take that financial nugget and be able to put it into other signings? I think the truth is that Barcelona do want to sign more players. So They want Bernardo Silva, apparently, as well. They want Bernardo Silva. And that was, you know, it's quite interesting the other day with the talk between Laporte and, and, um, uh, and, yeah. Yeah. and uh, Pep and kind of how they joked around that. Um, and we do know that I think Bernardo Silva is definitely willing to listen to Barcelona. It's something he's very interested in, though he has allegedly told Manchester City that he would like another year at the football club. So there's kind of conflicting realms around that. If he goes to uh, Barcelona or Barcelona make a serious play for him, then that's De Jong done. De Jong's out of the football club. They'd have to sell him because they would need that wage. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, Bernardo Silva wanted this move last year as well, I think, uh, but he did. managed to convince him to stay. I mean, we'll see. Like, There's not been too much movement on De Jong for a few weeks, but as we mentioned there, don't think personal terms will be much of an issue, although depends which way you look at it because mm. it will be on a big contract. I think United will give him similar terms to what he's on at Barcelona so he doesn't end up losing out. And he will be among United's highest earning players if he does join as well. So yeah. it's, a, it's a big deal for United to pull off because that's a big weekly wage uh, plus a big transfer fee. So it's, uh, you can understand why United are putting this one first if Frankie de Jong is Ten Hag's, the player that Ten Hag wants to build around player that Ten Hag thinks can advance his style of play quickest and best. Uh, it makes sense to kind of hold out and see what happens with De Jong first. And this is kind of where I stand on it as well. Let's get this one done first, is, is as far as I'm concerned, the right uh, way to play. Absolutely. And, and I think it's, again, you know, we've talked about uh, positional priorities and the priority for Ten Hag, we know absolutely 100% is midfield. Yeah, that's what he's looking at to start off with. And he's happier with all of the other bits around him. But it doesn't mean Manchester United are not looking at forwards, Manchester United are not looking at defenders. It just means that you need that player in the middle 
who gets things going. And I think the things with De Jong is because he is a proper box-to-box and he can do five or six different functions in midfield, he's like the first domino. You know what I'm saying about all the dominoes falling? He's the one you've got to have at the top because that's the player that triggers your style of play. And we do know, again, 100% that Ten Hag is very, very keen to implement his philosophy on day one. It's much easier to say to the squad, here's Frankie De Jong, this is why I've bought him, and this is the philosophy, and you're going to fit around Frankie, he's not going to fit around you and play the double pivot like McTominay. So it's, I think that's the way it has to be, is that this is all about future-proofing how you actually want to play football. What do you think of an upgraded midfield from McFred to Fredkey? <laughs> Frankie, Frank, Frank T, McFrankie, McFrankie, McFrankie. That's what it will be, McFrankie. Um, I, I do think that there is like a future still for McTominay at the football club. Definitely, you know, we know that uh, again that he's probably going to sign uh, extended terms. And Fred played well enough last year. He's probably maybe Man United's third best player last year. You could say, even though maybe only three of them actually played well. Um, but he's another player that I think if you can um, look at the technique of the game and improve him on certain parts, they could both still be useful in a squad system. You know, I looked last week, actually, when we were doing Paul Pogba, and um, and Fred had a better pass uh, success rate than Paul Pogba last year. And you kind of go, Really? But that was the truth. That's what the stats say. So I don't think that uh, the new manager looks at that and thinks that those players are complete losses. But I do think you want someone like Frankie Dion at the heart of your midfield. From one former Ajax midfielder to another, Christian Eriksen. Yay. <laughs> we are, uh, we've talked about Christian Eriksen on the last few shows. United have made a contract offer to him. He's out of contract at Brentford within about 10 days. Or be the longest mm-hmm. day of the year today, June 21st within, well, his contract expires in nine days' time or mm-hmm. 10 days, depending on how you look at it. He has a decision to make on his future. He has a lot of offers from a bunch of different clubs, but United, Brentford and Tottenham have been the named clubs in this frame. Now, things took a bit of a boost for, for United yesterday mm-hmm. in the fact that London-based Spurs reporters were suggesting that... Uh, Tottenham's interest in Ericsson wasn't so advanced and they'd kind of pulled back a little bit to concentrate on other targets. So along the lines of De Jong, how important is Ericsson to this? Because United have lost Juan Mata. They don't really have too many quality ball-playing options in midfield. Obviously, we know that Bruno is a bit hit and miss with his distribution and that kind of thing. But Ericsson proved in the last few months at Brentford that he still got it and he can still cut it at the highest level. So are you encouraged by this update do you think you know i will actually end up convincing ericsson to come up to the northwest potentially and i think actually if you get frankie de Jong, that's a, a carrot to ericsson you know so again ericsson as you said there it's got a week left of his deal at brentford um brentford have also put terms to him so that's not completely out the window i think that um he really likes being at brentford but i think he probably has more ambition than than being at a mid-table club though Manchester United maybe are a little bit mid-table in the last year or two um, in terms of their ambitions. But I do think that that Ericsson, and you look at all of the pieces and you look at what you're trying to build in the midfield, you need ball players, Scott. You need players that can actually pass the ball. So I was kind of complimentary there, McFred, and saying that they've got a use. Of course they've got a use, but you need players that can thread that ball through the eye of a needle, like we said last week, and help Ronaldo and also help Fernandez. Like I think the thing with Bruno Fernandez is that he gets 
the pressure of having to do everything. You know, he writes a theme tune, he sings a theme tune. You could do it. It's not really a good look for him. He needs people around him that can help him with that. And Christian Eriksen is a very good, valuable, value prospect. You're not paying any fee for him. He's got loads of experience and he's still at the top of his game. I still think he's a very, very good player. So it started a couple of weeks ago where Eriksen's camp were saying that only wanted to talk to Champions League clubs. That was the earliest kind of point they put out there. And then that very quickly changed to this last week or two where Ericsson himself has said that Champions League is not essential to his decision-making. So I think Manchester United are in a, a huge opportunity with him. The, the, the offers there, they probably can outbid people in the offer in terms of wages. And I think that will matter. Um, but I think it's also bringing a player to the club that will play games. He's not going to come to be one matter part two and sit on a bench and play eight games or start eight, nine games in the season. He wants to come to Man United to play and to win. And I think he'd really enjoy playing with Cristiano Ronaldo in front of him. How, just a question on that, actually. How, how many games do you think Ericsson will end up playing all comps? Is, it, is this an automatic starter all the time? Or is this more of a 60%, 66% of the games and not an automatic pick all the time? It's more dependent on the match. I think when we think about his health, and we talked about this last week and say it was only a year ago, I still think fans think of him in that ilk of, oh, you know, you've got to look after him just in case something happens. As far as he's concerned, that's not who or what he is. He's a normal footballer at his normal age, and he can play every game if so be it. Now, of course, he is getting older, but he's not old. So I think that he would start more games than he than, than not. But of course, you could use him in rotation, Scott. And I think this is what Man United need to get better at. They need to have players, 14, 15, 16 players, they can all just fit into the first 11 without killing the first 11. And what we saw last year is that when Man United rotated, it just exploded. Tactically, technically, results would go south. You'd stop scoring goals. You'd start conceding goals. And it was a nightmare. Christian Eriksen, bringing him in, would be about helping all of those things, making sure they don't happen. And I think you need someone that can really assist from that midfield position, that can go a little bit deeper and that can see the channel and can hit that pass. And then Ronaldo can play on the front foot a little bit more because we know that's what he wants to do. Ronaldo wants to play in his own spacing. But I don't think Bruno Fernandes helps him do that. So you get this player for free. You give him a good wage, Scott, and you give him a decent deal. You say, you know, two to three-year contract or whatever, and we're going to keep you here and you're going to be a major part of this rebuild. I think that that is sexy enough for this player to go, yes, I like that, so I'm going to come. Tottenham, as you just said there, from what we're hearing, Tottenham have decided that Ericsson isn't in their plans. That's just today, might change tomorrow, but that's what we're hearing directly from their club. Yeah, um, we, we talked about Ronaldo and his, you know, as many goals as he scores, his limitations, mm. his energy, his movement. One thing he can do is head the ball. Uh, and seeing somebody with... Does it annoy you seeing Luke Shaw on corners? Uh, it, it does, to me, a little bit. I think I think it's probably better. And if somebody like Christian Eriksen can come in and provide that extra bit... It, it, it really irritates me. Like, Harry Maguire should score so many headers from corners and set pieces. And United have a lot of options that they just don't maximise it. I think they went... How long did they go without scoring from a set piece until Leeds last season? It was a long but, time. Alex Tellers is supposed to be a dead ball specialist 
And every time the ball is dead, he looks dead when he kicks it. It's like it's mad. So what what goes on there? You know, she's saying about Luke Shaw. I've got no problem with Luke Shaw on corners because I actually think he's a decent set piece specialist. When he was younger, he was good at those things. There's no problem with that. But I think when you look at Ericsson, you know what you get with Ericsson, don't you? You know, in terms of his dead ball and also for the in terms of how he opens the pitch up with the way he plays. And I think that's what Bruno suffers with. Bruno's decent on the edge of the box. But Bruno's not so good in the deeper positions. He'll get the ball, he'll lose it, and then he's running to try and, you know, get the ball back. You need players, Scott, I think, that can retain the ball, but not not make it look difficult. And Ericsson is beautiful at that. That's what Ericsson's really good at. He makes the game look simple. And Man United need that, that simplicity at the heart of Ten Hag's new system. Last player on the agenda that I'd like to talk about today before we get into Richard Arnold's pub gate. Uh, <laughs> is uh, Anthony. Now, there's uh, yes. obviously we've talked about Anthony previously on this podcast. I mean, on 90min.com, as far back as February, March, we were saying that United intended to move for Anthony at some point in the summer. Yeah. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, uh, the 21st of June, and overnight there's been suggestions that United are sending a delegation to Amsterdam to close this transfer. Now, Ah, this one excites me, to be honest. I'm not, I'm not sure whether it's quite advanced as that, but we'll see. I mean, United need, for me, I think they need, even though they signed Jadon Sancho last summer, to play on the right. Now it's better from the left-hand side. I do think there's a gap on that right-hand side that needs to be filled. And as much as centre-forward is an important position, I think United have always been looking for a versatile forward who can play in a bunch of different positions. So, are you excited by this potential transfer happening, Rob? And do you think it will come off? I think we're really close. I really do. I think we're really close to it. I, th- I think in terms of, again, we talk about needs positionally. I think he's, he's a type of player that you need in that forward line. So we talked, didn't we, a lot about Darwin Nunes and the reasons why Man United did kind of back away from that deal in the end when they heard the numbers and they were not overly impressed. Liverpool were advanced in that anyway. But Man United... If they're going with Ronaldo for the next 12 months, which is what they are doing, it puts the need of being that you need creative players that can help Ronaldo, but also do their own thing, kind of create their own shot, as you would call it in basketball. So I think when you look at someone like Anthony and you look at the price range, Scott, 40-odd million quid around that kind of ballpark, again, very gettable. If he has a great year at Ajax this year, is he going to be worth £40 million in 12 months? Is he? No. He's not. He's going to be worth double that. So this is where Man United are looking at these things and talking about dominoes falling. I think I would not be surprised. I want to put my neck on the block here. that We record, don't we, Tuesday, Friday, Tuesday, Friday. It would not be surprised that in our next show, we're not talking about De Jong yet, that that's still burning a little bit, but we're talking about an Anthony bid being accepted by Ajax. We know the player wants to move. He's happy to move. We know that those things are in place. Again, wages. And I think, again, United will want to get moving now. Next week, preseason starts, day one of the first wave of preseason. And, and I think they would like one in the door. And it feels that Anthony is the one at the moment. It just depends. We talk about De Jong. We know Timbers are nothing now. That's not going to happen. Um, but I think Anthony's a very, very exciting player. Uh, and I think he's ready for the Premier League. I think he's kind of Premier League ready. The kind of t- style of play he plays, he could help Man United a lot on that right-hand side. I can't remember whether I said it on this podcast, Rob. Um, and we're, maybe I, I do a few different podcasts now, so I don't know whether I said it somewhere else. But Anthony, I think 
for this summer, if United do want him, is quite an important one to get because you look at the way Liverpool have planned with, obviously, Sadio Mane's landed in Munich today. He's going to yeah. complete his transfer to Bayern. And they signed Darwin Nunes. They signed Luis Diaz a few months ago. Yeah. And you look at Mohamed Salah's contract situation at Liverpool, and I think he'll end up leaving on a free transfer next summer. 100%, yeah. Liverpool wanted Anthony for a long time. Yeah. Now, if United don't pull the trigger now and do a deal now, I think they could probably end up losing out to Liverpool on somebody like Anthony next summer as well. I mean, we'll see how it goes, but I think this one, that hole on the right-hand side has been so obvious there for so long now that it needs somebody to come in and fill it. They signed Ahmad, they signed Palistri, uh, but not really happened for them. And there's just a gap there that needs filling, and I think Anthony could fill it. I think you can fill it. And I, and I think, again, people say, oh, but you bought Sancho to do that, didn't you? And you've got wider players and all of this. Well, truth is, Scott, none of it's worked. So you have to start trying to do things that actually work and bringing in players that help you maybe extend the philosophy in those parts of the pitch. So, again, another player, like we said, about IXB team, you know, a player that understands the new manager about what would be demanded from that role and how to play it. And also would allow United to play 4-3-3 if they wanted to. He could fit into the 4-2-3-1, no problem. And it would also, I think, help the balance. So, like, we talk about Jaden Sancho, Marcus Rashford and players like that. Better Anthony quality. Martial, I'll throw that in there as well. Absolutely. Better players in better positions that helps around the market and helps you in that ecosystem, as I always talk about on a football pitch. If you can make and mesh all those things together, you've got a better team. You've got a better defence. You've got a better attack. All of those things do count. And I think with Anthony, I think at 40 million, as you said there, Salah is leaving Liverpool one way or the other. And Liverpool like Anthony. They've gone they've gone big and hard on Darwin Nunes because they felt they needed that with Mane going out the door. They needed to replace him very quickly. There was a kind of desperation there. I don't think they'd buy Darwin Nunes six months ago. I don't think they look at Darwin Nunes and go, he's the player we want. But there's a need there now. I think when Salah walks out the door in 12 months' time, when his contract is up, it will be the same thing. They'll look at Anthony and they'll look at 40 million, 50 million. They'll go, we'll gazump everyone and bid 70, 80 million. And that will be that done. That'll be difficult then to kind of get him to Manchester United. So I think at the price range that United are happy with that. Again, they're happy with the wage structure of what the player would bring. But it's the upside of winning games, Scott, isn't it? Will he help you win? The box is ticked. I think it'd be very, very exciting attack. You think, you know, Cristiano and I think, the goals he scores, but the deficiencies that he has as a centre-forward, you need to build around that and say, right, how can we help ourselves? Anthony, Sancho, maybe Rashford as an auxiliary striker through the middle. You know, Bruno playing as a 10 and sometimes an 8. De Jong playing as a 6 and sometimes as an 8 and as a box-to-box. If you can get all of those things right, Scott, on day one, you've got a pretty good team. <laughs> I thought this team were awful and they Sell them all, you know, all this kind of business. Uh, but yeah, let's uh, let's move on to Pubgate. <laughs> uh, Richard Arnold uh, got wind on was it Saturday? I think it was Saturday of yeah. a protest that was going to take place outside of his family home. Yeah, from, from some United fans, and turned up at the pub to talk to them, bought them a round of pints, and had a conversation about. United and the state of United and all this kind of business. And it turns out that the video of the conversation was leaked out on the social media. I find it mm-hmm. quite funny that 
United fans have been moaning about leaks from within the squad for a long time. <laughs> the leaks have left the club and now United fans are leaking or are doing the thing that they're complaining about happening yeah. from within the club. So, you know, what was your take on this? Because I've been... I think he actually said some stuff that I agreed with. I'm not. I think you are a little bit more negative on it. Shall I say that? How do you feel about it? Not negative. I think it's more of a case of did he say anything of any worth to the United fans? He slagged off Ed Woodward. <laughs> but did he? You know, like, I, I think it was a kind of we we're trying our best speech. You know, you know, and if you love Man United, please keep buying the shirt kind of thing. You know, please don't hurt our sponsors. So I think there was a lot of kind of conjecture in what he was saying. And I have the same suspicion of the Man United board as I've had all along, because we want to try and make them and hold them to account via facts, Scott. The factual stuff we see, not the blue sky stuff that we hear, but the facts. And the facts are we are still waiting to see what this new CEO does. Now, he's gone down the pub and talked to a load of Man United fans, and that's a new story in itself, isn't it? CEO turns up at the pub, buys a round and chats about Man United and says some really kind of, I don't know, off-cuff stuff like, you know, oh, you've seen kind of the mistakes we made doing that before, didn't we? <laughs> it's rubbish. Sorry, it is. It's rubbish. It's just, it's not, it's not interesting to me, I'll, I'll be honest. So I think the fans were kind of like, Oh, you know, we're glad he turned up, but, you know, we filmed it. Well, I'm sure he did know it was being filmed because I think in that scenario, that's what happens is that someone turns their phone on and they record it. And why are they recording it, Scott? Not to listen to it back into it at home when they're having a beer, you know, thinking about what did Richard say to us? They're doing it because they're trying to leak it to get traction. Um, I think fans have to be careful. You know, like if they think that this means anything, then I would say just wait and see. Uh we don't know what Richard Arnold's real intentions are. He wants to rebuild the football club. Let's see how he does that. Give the right people the, the power to do that. And let's see the football pitch and let's see the results on the football pitch. Will Manchester United thrive under this new management? I think it's right to say wait and see. But but I don't it's, also it's... agree with fans going to a protest at people's homes. Like Again, I just I, I don't like that. You know, I just think that people got families and you shouldn't be doing that unless you're going to get on a plane and go to Florida and sit on the Glazers' doorstep, because that's probably the people you should be protesting to. But, of course, they're a million miles away, and they know that, and that's why they get away with what they do at the football club. I mean, from where I stand with Richard Arnold, I mean, there were some things that I'll bring up in a second that I kind of confirmed to me that they are looking to do things a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. uh, I completely agree with you, though. Like, protesting outside family homes is probably it's a no-go. But also... Richard Arnold's been in the job for a few months and has done nothing yet. Nope. So he hasn't done anything bad. He hasn't done anything good. So I don't understand why the, the protest towards him would have come about. But at the same time, I feel like he... I don't think he did himself any damage. Let's just put it that way. Because he did say at one point, uh, the one that kind of st stuck out to me, is, as we've kind of suggested on this podcast as well for months now that Richard Arnold wanted to put the power of transfers and football decisions in the hands of football people. Uh, he did say this in an, he kind of said, well, do you want me to buy the players? Look where that's got us before in a kind of dig at Ed Woodward and this kind of thing. Uh, John Murta and 
uh, Darren Fletcher, Eric Ten Hag are kind of the ones that are going to be in charge of making sure all that comes about and Arnold wants to separate the business side of things from the football side of things, which is something that fans have been crying out for for a long time. But I would say, yeah, I mean, that conversation went down and obviously we have not seen Richard Arnold do anything yet. <laughs> so it's not like we can judge whether he's done a good or a bad job. I think he's made some steps, which could lead United down a positive path, but they haven't done anything right for 10 years. <laughs> so it's a, it's definitely a wait and see as far as I'm concerned, Rob. De- definitely. And, and again, I think it, it's important. It doesn't become a game of like who can protest best. Cause I think that's where Man United fans are at the moment. It seems to be this kind of factions of United's supporters. And it's like, well, we care about the club more than you. Oh, look, we've got, we've got Richard Arnold down the pub. That's a kind of, again, another tick, you know, we good, we're happy with that. And, you know, what can we do in terms of protest? You know, what, what can be the most impactful? I do think you need to be consistent, you know, so that's why I'm saying like leaking a video probably wasn't the cleverest thing at, at the end of the day, because that doesn't build any kind of trust, does it? You know, you, you're saying you distrust them, but then you're being distrustful. It's kind of like, mm, that doesn't work. But I do think United fans need to continue having a voice and being being this kind of direct link to the club. I do know that Richard Arnold wants to have links to fan groups. He wants to be able to communicate with them. But he's also got to be frank and upfront about stuff, hasn't he, Scott? Like, in real terms. So it's great doing it down a pub. It's a nice news story. But I want to see him do it to fan forums. I want the fan forum to be there where fans can talk to the board and have a much more kind of solidified approach to communication. Then fans can say, you're not doing your job and why are you not doing it? And he has to answer. I think that's a much more powerful way to get bureaucrats and chairmen and CEOs to do the right thing rather than, say, dragging them down the pub and having a Stella with them. Other beers was, are available. Do you, was, do you think it was Stella that they were drinking? Foster's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, uh, it was a nice day for it anyway, I think, on Saturday. Of course. So, uh, yeah, I mean, let's see how Richard Arnold's guidance changes the direction of Man United. We haven't really seen anything yet. They've made no signings. Yeah. They've lost a few players. Uh, and we're no real... We're not really anywhere near anywhere nearer knowing how United are going to turn out. Although we, there are some signs that they're moving in the right direction, yeah. But it's definitely a wait and see job, isn't it? It is, and also there will be a, there'll be a really pinpoint focus for the board and the commercial arm of Manchester United to get this tour right that they're going on. So again, fans don't get massively excited about these things, but you do once they're kind of starting, you get invested in it. But they'll be looking at that because that's a big sponsorship opportunity. So they'll be doing that. So that does not surprise me that Richard Arnold's gone down the pub and said, lads, please don't protest because, you know, our sponsors. It, there's always a kind of reason behind those kind of things. So United are looking at extra sponsorship for those for those tours and other things. You know, we need our favourite tractor partner, you know, and that kind of stuff. United are still doing all those things and Richard Arnold is still responsible for it. Yeah, I mean, we'll see how the tour... I think United play Liverpool in their first pre-season tour game, don't they? Uh, which they should do. Be, should they be interesting do. on the 12th of July. I and I don't agree with these tours. I'm going to say it again. I say it every year. I don't agree with going to the other side of the planet because you're doing it so fans can see you and sponsors can hear you. I don't want that. I want my... I, I, want, I want to be in an environment where the players can go away, get fit, and get ready for the Premier League campaign. Now, they can do that abroad and United players are used to that. Marcus Rashford... I think said he was really looking forward to the tour, but you know, I don't think he's going to say anything else. But I don't think a, a million-hour plane trip across the world is really what 
the team needs under a new coach. I'd rather that they went to Amsterdam and trained there with their new coach and found a new way to play football. Been going nearly 54 minutes on today's episode, Rob. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap up and say goodbye? No, I think we're going to start seeing movement now. I know we've been saying this almost every week, but uh, uh, United will execute deals now. And as I said at the top of the show, they've got the fingers in many pies. It's just trying to make sure that they get the right players in. Uh, quality more than quantity. You know, so if you get Ansi and De Jong in the next two, three, four weeks, it's a good start. That's a quality you're looking for. And maybe then if you pick up a Martinez or you pick up another defender or you'll be able to pad those numbers out so you've got options. Great, so be it. So I'm not as obsessed with United buying a whole brand new squad as I am with just bringing in some good players. And Ericsson, I think, would be a little cherry on the cake. You know, next week we'll hear more about Christian Ericsson. I'm sure we'll talk about him. Uh, and I think there's a really good chance that he will choose Man United. Well, we'll see how it goes. Uh, just a reminder to please subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, etc. And now you can watch us twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays on the YouTube channel as well. The Promised Land and Manchester United podcast, I think, is where you can find us in the search bar. So hit the like button on today's video, subscribe, join the community, leave a comment for us too, and we'll pick up on them in the next few weeks. Let us know as well if you'd like us to go live uh, and we'll, we'll consider it happening. Uh, we'll, we'll have a thought. It's probably easier for us to actually do it live as well, so we'll see. But uh, the links will be in the description of this episode to the YouTube channel if you're listening on an audio platform. And you can follow us on Twitter as well, at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at PromisedLandMU for the show's account as well. Rob, thank you very much for today. I'll catch you on Friday. See you soon, listener. Thank you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.